David, David. Let's, uh, let's welcome David, praising God for, for David being here this morning. Good morning, church. All right, let's get this out in the open right now. I'm from the United States, so I'm going to say words that you just don't understand, okay? Uh, just, I want to get it out there right now that it's not a boot, it's a trunk uh, on your car. Someone told me to put something in the boot. I'm like, what? You know, put your boots in the boot. What? We use different words, but we have the same God. Amen? And uh, I, uh, gentlemen, I'd like you to stand up for a minute. Every guy, not the guys that were just there yesterday, every, everybody that calls himself a man, get up. Um, if you're a man, stand up. I don't even care how old you are. You can, uh, eight years old, it doesn't matter. I just want the men, I want to recognize the men for a minute. Uh, just because we've been called as a spiritual leader of a home and the community and the marketplace and the church, you're leaders. And oftentimes we don't recognize you as leaders. We, we henpeck you to death and we tell you you can be better here, there. And I mean, uh, so I just wanted to take a minute to, to say well done, that you're, that you're worthy of mention. And I want to read, if anybody who's got my book knows that I have a very particular scripture that I write uh, underneath my signature. And it's from Joel. And it's, uh, Joel is not a, an oft-read book in the Old Testament that we just throw out every day. But this is something that I think uh, needs to be spoken over you this morning before we uh, move into the, the message. Uh, it's from verse 9, Joel, uh, Joel 3. It says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. For the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Gentlemen, we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I mentioned it yesterday. The Bible also says that we should pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. So make sure, if you do anything today, that you lock shields with another man. Cover him, fight for him, pray with him, hold each other accountable. I've read the end of the book, and we win. But the fight ain't easy. The fight is not easy. So go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for what you do as men. Since there's no time on this, uh, this order of service, um, you're in trouble. Uh, I use Hollywood action movies as a way to engage men, and I thought I would bring a Hollywood action movie in this morning or a Hollywood movie uh, but I want to tell you a little story first about this. Uh, this is a prayer message, and I think it's not an accident that prayer has been kind of the central focus of a lot of the words that we've heard and the relationship with God. And I thought I would uh, share a little something with you. The men that were with us yesterday uh, know that I have a lot of kids. I have five. Uh, we're a blended family. They range anywhere from 23 down to 17. Um, I have two biological children. I have a 23-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old son, and then I have three stepkids. Um, I'm I don't have the best relationship with my biological kids. Um, I see them very rarely. I talk to them very rarely. Uh, but when they call and ask me to help them with stuff, normally I'm pretty responsive uh, in spite of my um, anger uh, and hurt for being ignored so much. And I know I'm not the only one in the room. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but we have broken relationships in our lives. And mine just happened to be with, with my children. 
And I remember not too terribly long ago, my son called, and I hadn't spoken to him for quite some time, and he was in the process of buying a car. Uh, it was about $2,800, and he wanted me to come and look at it because I know his level of mechanical aptitude isn't all that great when I saw that he posted on Facebook, hey, does anyone know how to change a tire? So I, I knew that I was probably going to be needed in this circumstance. So I grabbed my shoes, and I, and I went to head out the door to meet him several, uh, about a good 45 minutes away from our house. And my wife, Joni, uh, is always one. She's the voice of the Lord. She's got the, the, the hotline phone right to the throne room, and I don't. Um, and so she said, you know, why are you, you know, every time your kids call you, you just jump up and respond. And, and I said, well, they're my kids. I, I got to do that. You know, it's just, and the more she talked to me, the more she made sense, men, just letting you know. The more she talked to me about uh, why I'm dropping everything to go help this young man who never calls and doesn't care, uh, I got pretty fired up. I was pretty upset about it, but I still walked out the door and I got into my car. And as I was driving towards the, the car dealership, I had had it. And I said, you know, she's right. Why do I always drop everything and go running after these kids when they call and I have no relationship with them? The only time they ever call me is when they need something. They never say thank you. And then over the sound of the radio in my car, I heard God very clearly say, David, you do the same thing to me. And I thought, wow, how often I do that exact thing. I do a, the, we, we have a, I don't know what you dial in a case of an emergency. What is it here? It's triple zero, right? Zero, 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 uh, triple O. In our country, it's 911. Uh, I'm really good at the 911 prayers. Uh, I, I call when I need them, but otherwise I just kind of fly along on autopilot. And there's been seasons uh, where I've had a pretty significant prayer drought. Has anybody else ever been there where you just, the prayer just doesn't work uh, or you just stop or you get so busy you forget and you're three weeks into the, the month and you haven't even sat down and prayed except for over food and you wonder why things are falling apart. The Bible says uh, that if, the God, if God lays our plans, how can man possibly understand his own way? So if we're not connected to him, how can we possibly understand where we're supposed to be going? Kind of like driving without a road map, uh, having no idea where you're headed. I got convicted that my prayer life uh, is kind of hit and miss, and, and I was trying to figure out why. And I was watching, believe it or not, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, which is a Star Wars movie. Have you seen this? There are going to be some words I say in this message that you've never heard on a Sunday morning in church, and you will likely never hear again. Words like Dagobah. Uh, you won't ever hear Dagobah again, I'm sure. Uh, Tauntaun is another word uh, that you'll never hear. But the, uh, how many have seen the Star Wars trilogy? Uh, we're old enough, uh, some of us are old enough in here to remember that there really is only one Star Wars, and it came out in 1977. All the stuff that came after it is just extra. Okay, so The Empire Strikes Back is really for us, for true aficionados, is episode two. It is not episode five, like they call it. You young people, they added all these extra episodes. Now they have another one coming out. Empire Strikes Back is the second installment in the Star Wars trilogy that is the best movie in the entire world. Uh, if you'll remember much about Star Wars, we have the good guys and the bad guys. You have the rebel base, uh, which has successfully now blown up the Death Star. Another word you'll never hear in church on a Sunday morning. Death Star blows up. The rebels have moved on to another, uh, an, uh, their own base, and they've built this base on the snow planet of Hoth, which is a big ice ball. And the Empire is a little upset with them because the last time they had any interface with the rebels, they blew up their, their 
space station. So they're not real happy with these people. So they've sent out probe droids all over this, uh, the system, all over, this, all over space, to try and find this hidden rebel base. And they've, they, they land on Hoth, and they find them. And you'll remember our heroes, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia. Well, Luke and Han get on their tauntauns, which are kind of like a cross between a, a ram uh, with the horns and a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, if I was going to put two animals together. And they get on these things, and they saddle up, and they ride out into the snow. And as they get out there, they find uh, the probe droid. And Luke somehow gets separated from, um, from Han and is abducted by this giant white beast that looks a lot like the abominable snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, if you've ever seen the, that Christmas movie. Um, and so he ends up hanging upside down, stuck in the ice, uh, and he doesn't, hello. He's a Yeti. He's a Yeti. Thank you. Okay. I've now, I've, now been, <laughs> I've now been corrected, and I'm sure, Fuzz, you put him up to that. Thank you very much. I can see the high five back there. I know, Andrew, you're behind that. I'm, somehow or another, if I track back far enough, you're the source. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the coolest thing ever. My, now my message is over. He just took, I'm going to give him the mic and let him finish up. So Luke is hanging upside down with the Yeti. It's a Yeti, right? Uh, and he breaks free. He does a mind thing and grabs his lightsaber, cuts his own feet down, and runs out into the dark. But it's, it's so far below zero that he has minutes to survive in the freezing cold. And he falls over. His tauntaun dies. And so here he is out in the middle of nowhere with a dead animal. He can't make it back to the base. And he's fading fast. And as he fades, he encounters a, a hologram of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, Obi-Wan has a bad habit of showing up as a hologram every episode after the first one because he, uh, he was, I guess, sort of raptured when Darth Vader hit him with a lightsaber. So he, now he's, he just shows up from time to time and has a message for Luke. And this one is, you need to go to the, uh, snow, uh, to the swamp system of Dagobah and learn the art of being a Jedi Master from the Jedi Master Yoda. Now, I'm sure as Luke is fading out into, into Nowhereville, that he is assuming that the Jedi Master would be seven feet tall and uh, huge and buff. And we all know that the Jedi Master Yoda is actually three feet tall and green with pointy ears and sounds a lot like Fozzie Bear from the Muppets, if you've ever seen that show. We're going to join Luke in the middle of his training. He is on now officially on Dagobah. He is in the middle of his training. When he landed on Dagobah, he crashed into the planet. He did not land. So his X-Wing spaceship is kind of nose into a swamp and is not doing well. It's unflyable, it's unusable, and he can't even get it out of the swamp. So he's sort of stuck there in the middle of his training. Uh, he's uh, currently, when we join him, he'll be doing a handstand uh, and stacking rocks with his mind uh, uh, with the power of the force. Now, let me give you a disclaimer before I show this. Uh, I am not in any way, shape, or form uh, likening the Holy Spirit of a living God to the force. It's science fiction. That's it. So just relax, <laughs> okay? But it, there are a lot of really cool points that I want to make out of this uh, that will illustrate prayer and illustrate faith uh, in a way that maybe we've forgotten. Uh, and we'll do it with a three-foot-tall green guy, okay? Here it is.
see it? Wasn't that a good clip? That was, was so good. We could act it out. I've done that before, too. Speaking of Jedi Masters, Stewie's back there working on the sound system right now, so I know it'll be up and running soon. Volume? Lots of volume? Lights. stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No. No different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. Alright, I'll give it a try. No. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. should not 
For my ally is the Force, and a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the Force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between the land and the ship. You want the impossible. Let's unpack this thing a little bit. I'm actually going to use some scripture uh, on top of Yoda, as weird as that sounds. Every one of us in this room, I mentioned this yesterday, uh, I saw a lot of hands. Uh, guys, were, uh, the men that were in the room yesterday, including myself, are always in the middle of, of, of these epic battles. It's never just something small. There's always something looming off in the distance that is just so overwhelming uh, that we almost just have to put it off in a corner and say, you know, I'll deal with that later because it's just so big that I don't want to deal with it. And, and, and I thought Yoda could help us maybe understand a little bit uh, better about how we see things. Uh, and then we're going to approach how we pray about them because I think we do our prayer. Our, our prayer has become so convoluted that, we're, that we need to go backwards a few thousand years to figure out the best way to do it. And then uh, and we're going to leave here today uh, taking on that biggest prayer need, taking on the stuff that is so ridiculously overshadowing and big that we just kind of tend to Say, you know what, God, moving rocks is one thing, but this is a ship. This is totally different. How often do we do that? We say, you know, I know God's going to move here in my finances or with my relationships, but 
to be, uh, we want a new house. That's a big prayer of ours. And, and it's, it's a big deal because there are so many moving pieces in getting out from underneath the house uh, and, and being able to move that I don't pray about it enough because it's just so big that I, the, sh- it, the shadow it casts is so big over me that I just want to work on the little things. And Luke does the same thing. He's there. The ship starts to sink. The first thing he says is, we'll never get it out now. How is that for optimistic? Uh, the first thing he says, he, he forgets he's with the, with the, the master, uh, and he's, he's, he's yoked to this, this master, and he says, well, we'll never get it out now. How often do we do that? You know, I, I, I'm guilty of being a pessimist more often than I should be. Uh, I, I have a little bit of Johnny Rain Cloud in me, so if the sun's out, I might, you know, cover up a corner of your sunshine. Uh, and my wife doesn't like that, and she comes at me about me being negative all the time. I'm sorry, honey. Uh, I do hear you. Uh, I just choose not to do anything about it. Anyway, as I move on, <laughs> we'll never get it out now. Master, moving rocks is one thing. This is, this is totally, this is so big. It's so big, you can't even do anything with it. And Yoda just puts his little stick down in the ground, and I can't do a Yoda impersonation anymore. I used to be able to do one, but I've lost it. He says, no, it's no different. It's only different in your mind. He says, you must unlearn what you've learned. And it reminds me of what Paul wrote in in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed any longer by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. You must unlearn what you've learned. What the world says is cool is not. What the world says is normal is not. What God says is truth. So what the world tells you to believe, wow, man, you ain't never going to get out of that thing. You know, your marriage will never be any better. You're never going to be delivered from addiction. You're never going to have enough money. And we buy those lies as the enemy continues to whisper them until they become believable. And that's just a lie. There isn't a rock or a spaceship too big for God to move. Amen? I think we get so focused on the battle that we forget that it's already been won. Luke goes off in a corner. He tries to bring the ship up out of the swamp, and he's, oh, and he puts his, his pouty face on, and he walks off into a corner, and he sits down. You want the impossible. The Bible I read says nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And I've often tried to figure out why I pray and I pray and I pray and, and I still don't get heard. I mean, to the point where I start thinking maybe I have the wrong combination of people that I'm praying with. You know, it, the Bible says that if two or more are gathered somewhere that that'll work and I'll change people or I'll change the way that I pray. When in fact, the Bible says in James 5 verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. And as I read that, I don't know why I only have it memorized in the King James Version, but as I read that, I say, okay, how does this translate? Well, the effective, fervent prayer from a righteous man will see a lot of things happen. And then I immediately disqualify myself as being not righteous. Well, you know, clearly God was with me in the car when that person cut me off the other day, and I got rid of my righteousness immediately when I said the first thing that was on my head, uh, which is not pleasing to God, and so I'm not righteous. So no wonder he's not hearing my prayers. Well, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. We aren't righteous. Not one. We're made righteous. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, so we have faith in God. And then on top of that, we're only made righteous by the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and rose again three days later. 
That's where our righteousness lies. So the good news is you can't earn the righteousness. You can't conjure up the righteousness. It's just there. So I've got that base covered. So that's not a problem. Uh, clearly, I'm righteous, not based on anything I've done, but on what he did. So then what? Sometimes I forget I have spiritual amnesia. Anybody else forget what God has done in our lives? Like, man, God hasn't done anything in my life lately. And, and we forget all the great things that he's done. Let me encourage you for a minute if you're like that, because I get that way sometimes. Uh, there's a point in, in the New Testament where Jesus is preaching, and he's, uh, he's on a hill. And the Bible says that there are about 5,000 men there. And we know that there are 5,000 men because that's what the Word says. But we don't know exactly how many total people were there. Uh, there could have been wives and children. So, I mean, at minimum, we have 5,000. We could have had 15,000 for all we know. And he's sitting on the side of the hill, and he's preaching to everybody. And his disciples come up to him, and they say this, uh, Lord, we're in a remote place. It's getting dark. We don't have enough money or food to feed all these people. You better wrap this thing up and send them home because if, they, if it gets dark, then they're all going to be stuck here and we're going to have 5,000 plus starving people on our hands and no way to feed them. And Jesus, of course, if you'll remember the story, if you've been in Sunday school, he grabs five loaves of bread and two fish from the, from the little boy. Uh, the no-named little boy with the sack lunch is what we like to call him. He comes up and he hands his food over to Jesus. He thanks uh, God. He breaks the bread. And they distribute it. And, and the Bible says that everybody was satisfied. And not only was everybody satisfied, but this is, you know, sometimes God shows up. Sometimes oh, I think he likes to show off. There were 12 extra baskets of bread, one for each disciple, interestingly enough. And he makes all the disciples go out and bring back a single basket of bread, of leftover bread, uh, just, I think, as an exclamation point or the punctuation mark to say, don't ever doubt me again. Look at what I just did. This is how powerful your God is. He just fed 5,000 plus people with five little barley loaves and two little sardines. I don't know about you, but these 12 disciples saw everything, okay? They saw, not only did they see that miracle, but they saw Jesus raise people from the dead, heal blind people. Uh, I mean, some of the miracles he did were uh, ridiculous. And I'm a, I'm a kind of, I got to see it to believe it type. I'm like Thomas in the Bible. Anybody else with me on that? I got to, the Bible says, blessed are those who have, who have believed and not seen, but I'm one of those guys that uh, I'd be pretty much sold out if I saw a, a dead person get up and walk out of the room. I think I would, I'd, anybody else, if you were sitting there and Jesus had the dead guy walk out of the room, you'd be like, okay, you are exactly who you say you are. I don't need any more proof than that. But they saw countless miracles. Well, let me, let me remind you of another quick story. Uh, several chapters later uh, in the New Testament, uh, in a, I can't remember exactly which book it's in. It's either Matthew or Mark. But anyway, Jesus is feeding there are 4,000 men there. He's preaching. The Bible says it's in a remote place. 4,000 this time, not five. Uh, and he's, he's, he's bringing the message. He's out in a boat, remote place. And the disciples come up to him as the sun's going down. And they walk over to him and they say, Lord, um, it's dark. We're in a very remote place. And we don't have any food or money uh, to buy these people food. We better send them home before it gets dark or we're going to be stuck with 4,000 people. Can you imagine what Jesus was thinking at this point? Like, wait a minute, guys, time out. Don't you remember, like, a couple of weeks ago, there were 5,000 people there, and I fed them. We did the bread thing, and you went out and got the 12 baskets and brought them back. Why are you doubting me again? You've forgotten this? 
So let me be an encouragement to you. If it's good enough for the 12 disciples that were walking the ground with him uh, 2,000 years ago, then it's okay to get a little spiritual amnesia once in a while. If they forgot, then it's probably okay that we can too. Let's talk about praying for a minute because that's my, my real point of this morning. Not Yoda, none of that. It's, it's locking in to a solid prayer methodology. I want to read you something out of uh, Acts 4. I'll give you a little bit of background first. Uh, Acts 3. Uh, Jesus has already ascended. Uh, Peter and John are out doing an awful lot of street preaching. That's what they do is they're running around to different towns and they're sharing uh, who Jesus is with all the people. By the time uh, they've, they've done... They've, they've healed people, they've delivered people from blindness, um, and it, what it's done is it's upset uh, the government entity, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who were the governors uh, of the time and the religious leaders of the time. They, they were kind of over this. They're like, wait a minute, we got rid of this Jesus guy. Why are these people still talking about him? And it's because Peter and John are running around sharing all this stuff and doing miracles in Jesus' name, and they're seeing it too, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but they're figuring, okay, we got to do something to shut these guys down because if this carries on too much longer, uh, it's going to be epidemic. Ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years ago, we're all in here because of what these guys did. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, They did their job, and it's our, it's our turn to do our job. So they're out preaching in the streets, and they heal a few people, and someone sees them and says, well, i got to tell somebody about this because this Peter and John, they're out of control. Acts 4 begins like this. It says, um, the, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, to understand that, the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. The Pharisees did. So they're upset because there's a doctrine challenge here. And then they said, they, this is the part that blows my mind. It says, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So even when these guys are in jail, people are getting saved. That, to me, is fantastic. Now, they end up going the next morning before the judge uh, and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, and they say, look, don't bring up this guy's, don't, you can, you're welcome to stay here, but if you start talking Jesus again, we're going to have problems. Don't talk about him. One thing I love about that whole part of Acts 4, I don't want to read the whole thing to you, is the, the, the Sanhedrin were amazed by the fact that the disciples were just 12 ordinary men. Jesus didn't use theologians. He didn't use Bible school scholars. He didn't use college graduates. He used a bunch of kids. He used a bunch of teenagers who went out and turned the whole world upside down. So don't ever doubt in the seats that you're in that you can't make a huge difference in the battle against the kingdom of darkness as a follower of Jesus by proclaiming his name because 5,000 people got saved when these two guys were already in jail. The words that you speak will resonate long after you leave the room because you have that same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. So here's what happens. These guys get let out of jail, and they go back to their friends. And it says in verse 23, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage in vain 
and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then it uh, fast forward to verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. All right, so we got a couple of guys that were preaching in the street, get thrown in jail, get released a couple thousand years ago. All right, so let's put this in today's terminology. Now, we play football in our country uh, we don't use the metric system. We still use yards because we're just a little slow. We also wear helmets. I mean, I don't know why, but we have pads. I mean, I've watched your football and your rugby, and body parts falling off is pretty normal uh, on, uh, on what you do. But we at least try to protect ourselves a little bit. Our local team uh, is the Buccaneers. Uh, they're pirate-based. They've got pirate logos. Our, our area of Florida is very heavily influenced by the pirate culture, Pirates of the Caribbean and all that because of where we live. Uh, I know the team here is the Cowboys. That's all I know. Uh, in our country, the Cowboys are called America's team, and we all hate them. But here, we'll just say that we love the Cowboys because it's your team. In our, in our country, uh, we have huge stadiums. You know, 70,000, 80,000 people will fill these things. Game day for us is Sunday morning. Uh, our college games, our university games are always Saturday. I happen to be a huge college football fan, not so much the pro guys, because the college guys just play for a championship trophy and no money. The pros, you know, they get a little messed up when they start playing for millions and millions of dollars. But I'm gonna, I've got a good friend, David, and David and I, it's, gonna be, it's a Sunday morning, and David and I are going to go watch our football team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, play the Cowboys. Might as well make it interesting. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys from Texas are coming into our stadium, and it's Sunday morning. But, but we're going to get there a little early because we're, you know, we're just full-throttle believers in the Lord, so we're going to start handing out tracts. Okay? We're passing out Bible tracts and talking to people about Jesus, and the police uh, from the city of Tampa are going to come over to us, and they're going to say, hey, you know, sir, you're not allowed to proselytize and talk about that Jesus guy uh, in front of our stadium. This is a, a public event, uh, and in the United States, we have some really great uh, suppression on what you can and can't talk about. So we have everybody else talking about everything from Buddha uh, and all over that over there. They're fine, but they come after us because we're preaching the name of Jesus to a bunch of football fans that are on their way in to the stadium. So because it's Sunday morning uh, and they've got tickets to the game too, the police officers say, wow, look at the time. Uh, we're going to throw you two in jail for the day. And you know, Monday morning will be great. The magistrate will be in. We can deal with you tomorrow. Uh, but we don't want to miss the game. So they'd put us in the back of a police car and take us to prison and lock us up for handing out tracts. Uh, they don't read us our rights. They don't formally charge us with anything. They just get us out of the way, much like these guys did with Peter and John. They just throw us in jail. Now, David and I are, are best friends. He's also on my board of directors. Uh, so overnight, I'm a little bit mad. Anybody else, if you're wrongfully imprisoned, you think you're probably, by the time morning comes, you're going to be looking for some heads to roll because you are not happy. So by the time we get before the judge at 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday, they give us a stern warning. You know, you know you're not supposed to do that whole preaching thing at a, a National Football League game, and then they let us go. Well, I get home and I am livid. 
I want to file a lawsuit against everybody, the league, the team, the stadium, the police, the court system. I want to go on television. I mean, we have some goofy shows. I want to go on Oprah. I want to go on all these shows that we have. I want everyone to hear that I have been wronged. I want the world to know through media and through the court system that I, my, my rights were violated. I, I, I was just speaking what I'm allowed under the United States Constitution to do, which is freedom of religion, and I got thrown in jail, and I missed the game. Uh, so I want free tickets for the, like life. That's, I'm that, I'm that, that's just the culture that I live in now. So I'm trying to sue everybody, and we're going through the magistrate system. We go all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States in Washington, D.C., our highest court, and I'm not going to win. I'm going to keep appealing, and they're going to keep de de denying, and I'm going to go home completely defeated, and I'll sit down with all my friends and say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry we put so much money into this. I really thought we had a viable case. Uh, I was, you know, I missed the game. Uh, we were wronged. All we were trying to do was, was pass out Bible tracts and share Jesus with people. And I don't know what else we can do now. We've lost. And then somebody in the room, this is invariably what happens in today's culture in our church, someone will say, well, hey, you know, you've done everything you can. Uh, I guess all we can do now is... Verse 23 or verse 29, says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and filed a lawsuit against the football team. <laughs> On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, not one single phone call was made to a judge or an attorney anywhere. No television channels were contacted. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Folks, let me ask you a question. If it's that big of a battle, if it's a spaceship-sized challenge, that even other people around you are saying it's impossible, why do we use prayer as our last-ditch effort instead of our first attack? If, if, if we have a connection to a sovereign God the minute the wheels come flying off of whatever problem it is, we should be on our faces first. I have friends who, we had a, a, a kind of a housing crisis in the United States um, where everybody, the homes, especially in our part of the country, uh, escalated very quickly. They went from being worth 200000 to suddenly being worth 400000 So people financed and they took out money uh, in the equity in their home and then the market went back down again and homes went from being worth this much to being worth what they were before, and, and people couldn't make their mortgage payments. And my best friend uh, ran into that exact struggle. He's, he just he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. My, my house isn't worth what it used to be worth, and now I have to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to do that. And, and uh, of course, everybody has an opinion, right? So they all say, well, you need to call the bank, and you need to, maybe you could borrow money from your parents. There's got to be some way that you can pay down this debt. Not once, even my, and through my own fault, never once did I suggest, man, have you prayed about this yet? We're trying to solve the problem before we've even brought it to God. I'm guilty of it. I keep trying to figure out why I can't get my kids to call me on the phone. Never once have I brought them to the foot of the cross in anything other than a superficial prayer. Have I been relentless? No. Should I be? Absolutely. So I don't know what your battle is today. We all have them. If you got up this morning, there's a fair probability that you have a big challenge in your life. 
It's just human nature. Whether it's financial, relationship, marital, children, big move you got to make and you're not sure of. Maybe it's a career that's changing. Maybe you just lost your job and you have no idea what you're going to do next. We need to pray about it. Relentlessly. Because in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, I mentioned this yesterday to the guys. God says he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we can ask or imagine. I got one crazy, stinking imagination, ladies and gentlemen. I can imagine an awful lot. And God promises in his word in Ephesians 3 that he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond my wildest imagination. But we have to bring it to him first. I think another reason why I tend to get intimidated by prayer is I'm always afraid I'm going to hear what I don't want to hear. Remember that he's sovereign, and sovereign, when it's properly translated, means in control of everything. Uh, there are, I, I believe, three ways that God answers prayers. Yes, uh, you can't mistake yes. <laughs> you pray about it, you see it, yes. Uh, the second one uh, that oftentimes we, we confuse, uh, well, it's patience. Uh, I love the King James Version of the word patience and the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering, because uh, it's weight, and it's much better. I like long-suffering better than patience because you have to suffer for a really long time. That's, I love that word. Uh, so you have yes, you have weight, and then you have the one that we confuse for no a lot. And actually, all God is saying is, wait a minute, I have something better in mind for you. What you think is what you need. I'm God, and no. Uh, if I let that out that way, it won't work the way that I want it to. So let me just say this. Uh, as an encouragement to whoever's in this room. The pieces haven't been moved into the right places yet for God to do what God's going to do in your circumstance. But that doesn't mean that we give up praying about it. Maybe it's been a while since you've prayed about it. Maybe you're sitting there and you've never, you don't even have a clue how to talk to God. I know when I first met the Lord in my early 30s, I had no idea what it meant to pray. People are like, man, you need to pray. It's like, what does that mean? I mean, I'd heard every different denomination pray. I don't know what prayer is. Is it is? Do I have to have a particular rhythm or a formula? Are they the right words? Uh, what do I have to do? No, it's just a conversation between us and God. And Jesus promises that he's the advocate sitting in between. He's the counselor. He's the one that's sitting in between a holy God and a fallen man. That would be us. And he relays all those messages to God the Father. He's sitting right at his right hand. And he promises that he hears what we are crying out. Now, I think about timing sometimes. Like, man, he just, I keep praying. He hasn't done anything. What, what? The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. I'm only 49. That means, I mean, and that's literal. I believe that everything in the Bible is true. And when they say years, when God says years, it means years, 40 years. So just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean to give up. It means to just wait because he's going to move. So as the, as the worship team comes forward, um, I want to go to God. And I don't know where you are with him. Uh, I know me personally, um, I should probably call him more than I do. Maybe you've never talked to him before. Maybe you don't even know who he is. I'm at uh, teen challenge centers in the United States, 22 different ones all over the country, which is Christ-centered drug recovery. Um, and a lot of the guys I meet, uh, 
have never had a conversation with God, don't even know where to start. But I figure on the heels of an epic Saturday with a whole bunch of really cool guys that I would be making a mistake if we didn't all just ring them up together uh, this one time uh, and make that first step to either reaching out to them for the first time or maybe re-engaging for the first time in a long time. And it's a simple prayer. It's a it's an easy prayer. It's a painless, non-embarrassing, no formal education needing kind of a prayer. And it can be done silently. It can be done out loud. But I would encourage everybody in the room to just follow along with me, either out loud or in your heart or in your head. Um, and then the worship team's going to wrap this thing up. Let's pray. Father God, we just... Lord Jesus, <laughs> I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you better, more intimately. I want to hear more clearly. But God, sometimes the, the white noise of the world and all the stuff happening around me just puts supernatural cotton balls in my ears. So Lord, this morning I just... God, I need you. I don't even know what that means sometimes, Jesus, but I know that I cannot live this life alone, and I need you. Lord, I acknowledge, Jesus, that you died on a cross 2,000 years ago, and you took the sins of every one of us, myself included, past, present, and future on your shoulders. And three days later, just like you said, you rose again. You say that if we confess our sins to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our trespasses and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Lord, I confess to you today that I am a mess sometimes, and I am a sinner, and I need you. And I know that the only way I can ever be in your throne room with you is to invite you into my heart. So today, I invite you into my heart. Thank you, Lord, for dying on that cross. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. From this day forward, God, I will serve you in any way that you ask for the rest of my life. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And every person in this room says, Amen. Thank you.